I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is marketing consultant and podcaster, Tim Parkin. And we're going to be discussing how to find the magic in your marketing team. So really everything about how to make your team engaged, how to improve productivity within your team. And the reason that magic is weaved into the title there is because Tim is an amateur magician. Is that the correct way to phrase it, Tim? Amateur magician? Yeah, Scott. I'd like to call myself a professional level amateur magician, but I'm an amateur (laughs) nonetheless. And what's the difference between an amateur level or amateur professional and professional? Describe that to me. Yeah. as As a child, I thought, you know, that would be my career of choice. I'll become a professional magician. And so I was always interested in it as a kid, and I practiced, and I've become quite good. But the challenge is, you know, at an early age, I realized uh, magicians work nights and weekends. You know, that's when people are having events and parties, and certainly that wasn't for me. So I abandoned it, but to this day, I still practice magic and, you know, provide demonstrations at client meetings and conferences and the like. Yeah, it's a really interesting way to get attention, and I like the idea of weaving that into the episode. And, you know, there are questions throughout that are, uh, magic orientated and um there was just a quick marketing i guess tip or lesson or anecdote for anyone listening uh one thing that caught our attention you know we get a lot of people pitching to be on the podcast and tim approached us with a quick video and the video led with a magic trick i forgot what it's called something all of the aces or eight yeah like, twisting the aces twisting yeah. aces and um it was just something really nice and different you know as i'm going through lots of podcast pitches it was really nice to have something different to mix up my day a little bit, something to engage in. And then there was a kind of natural story between the magic and then uh, about productivity and engagement. And um, it led nicely to today's episode. But outside of magic, Tim, do you want to describe what else you do in the the world of marketing? Absolutely. Uh, I'm an advisor to global marketing executives. I help them and their teams transform their marketing from chaos and insignificant growth into real high performance teams, you know, with reliable, repeatable, predictable processes that consistently deliver record breaking results. So as you can tell, I'm, I'm really passionate about process and optimization and just maximizing every opportunity to its fullest extent. And so I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to do that every day with my clients. And outside of that, I mentioned, uh, being a uh, magician, but then also podcasting. Do you want to plug that quickly? I'll link to anything you describe in the show notes as well. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I have a podcast called the Marketing Leaders Podcast where I interview different marketing leaders. And those may be other marketers. It may be people tangentially or outside of marketing. Thanks a lot, Scott. No problem. And that brings me, uh, I guess, around to this point of engagement and uh, particularly how to engage a team. So I know, you know, reading through some of the materials that you've produced, and we'll talk a little bit about marketing technology, because I know you've written about that as well. But specifically, this area of engaging a team, I know that you feel that engagement at the te- of a team is really at the root of all marketing growth. And so I'm just really interested to know, you know for, for anyone out there that maybe maybe they've inherited a team, uh, or maybe they're launching or building a team for the first time, how do you get a group of people together and get them all engaged and on the same collective path? You're right that it's a lot easier said than done, right? Yeah. So especially working with large companies, you know, the mm-hmm. teams are quite quite big themselves. And so it's one thing if you're, you know, an entrepreneur or a small business and you have a team of three people or five people on your marketing team. But when you get to, you know, teams of 50, 80, hundreds of people, it can become quite difficult. And there's this network effect that every person interacts with so many other people. And so it becomes very uh, convoluted and complicated. But I would say there's three components to engaging with your team and getting them aligned and having them you know, all understand what you're doing. The first, of course, obviously, is you need to have the right people. And, you know, that sounds obvious, but you need mm-hmm. people who really, truly care, who are team players and who can think strategically. I can't tell you the amount of teams I've walked into, you know, as a consultant and found that there's someone who's been there, you know, usually for a long time, who's quite toxic to the team. And everybody knows it, but no one wants to do anything about it, you know, and uh, that one bad apple really can spoil the whole bunch. And so you need the right people and you have to you know, continually be auditing who do you have and who do you need. And sometimes that means getting rid of people. And that's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But it's the reality of uh, continuing to prune and shape and grow a productive and successful team. Uh, The second thing is you have to align those people. Once you have the right people, you have to align them so that they understand what your vision is and the direction you're going so they can work in harmony together to reach your objectives. If you don't align them, then they're just a bunch of really smart, really talented people who are all going different directions. And uh, you may be, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably relating to that in some capacity because that's often what happens. You get smart, good people and you think that I just have the right people that, you know, it's going to be fine. It'll all work out. And it doesn't happen naturally. You have to make it happen. And so an example of this is I was just in Chicago running a strategy workshop for one of my clients. You know, they have a team that's grown exponentially. It's basically tripled in size over the last year. And so we reviewed, you know, the past year, their priorities, everyone was tackling and mapped out a realistic roadmap of where we need to focus and prioritize for 2022 so we can all be in alignment and work together. And that leads me to the final and third point, which is focus. You have to prioritize ruthlessly. And I can't underscore that enough. It is about being ruthless about your priorities. It's better to move one thing ahead a mile than 100 things forward an inch. And I learned it from Jerry Weinberg, the law of raspberry jam. You know, the more you spread it, the thinner it gets. And that is often what happens in our work and in our marketing. And so success comes from having that narrow focus. And I'm really interested to know, in terms of those three key areas, is there anything specific that you would maybe do to align a marketing team as opposed to any other type of team? So anything unique to the experience of marketing that supports that ability to help marketers focus, align, or prioritize? 
Absolutely, because marketing teams and marketing as an organization is inundated and overwhelmed with requests and demands and priorities from other people, right, from outside marketing. So Mm -hmm. marketing is trying to do its own things, but there's so much external pressure on the department, you know, with with other things that are being asked of it. So that's the one big difference um, that you have to be able to manage those requests well and have the internal uh, support or understanding to navigate that. Because if you don't, uh, the whole department, the whole organization gets crushed under the weight of, you know, becoming a slave to everyone else in the organization. And so marketing, you know, when I advise, you know, CEOs and CMOs, it's marketing is not what you do. Marketing is who you are. And the big fallacy is that companies think they can tack on marketing. And that's completely wrong. You know, companies Mm -hmm. have to be a marketing operation, a marketing organization, uh, and really be focused and centered around marketing, not add on marketing. And so the companies that understand that don't typically have the issue of overwhelming and crushing and suffocating the marketing organization. But most organizations don't realize that. And so marketing then becomes, uh, again, kind of the the go-to place to say, we need this, do this, get this done. And they don't have the opportunity to really be strategic and therefore, uh, their productivity goes down the toilet because they're just doing a bunch of stuff to satisfy other people that won't really deliver on marketing goals and objectives. And mm. this is why you see the tenure of CMOs being so short. Uh, it's for exactly this reason. And speaking practically about the delivery or the communication of that message to help get people aligned. So when I talk this through, I'm thinking I was watching a TV show called Ted Lasso recently. Uh, it's pretty popular at the moment. I don't know if you've heard of it, but... Um, it's about a US soccer coach that comes to the UK and he inherits a football team. He's basically he comes to the UK, but everyone's skeptical because he's a US soccer coach and he doesn't know anything about football in the UK. And one of the things that he does very early on is he gets this, he writes believe on a scrap of paper and then puts it above his room in the kind of, uh, in the changing rooms in the, in the arena. It's interesting when I think about the delivery of messages to reinforce some kind of alignment. So what are some practical things that you've seen people do to align teams? Is it building out your environment to have repetition of messages related to your values and your goals? Is there something software-based that you can do and that you've seen in practice that helps align teams? Maybe just speak through some of the things that you've seen that help. It's a really interesting observation there about Ted Lasso. I haven't seen it myself, but my wife uh, has seen it. And uh, the whole story is, is really quite uh, quite entertaining. So yeah, uh, I definitely recommend people check it out because she's told me a lot about it. <laughs> um, but, but you're right. You know, a lot of people uh, don't have the tangible, practical side of this. And it's one thing to have your you know, beliefs and values and mission and all that stuff and communicate that. And you need to do that. And you need to communicate that, disseminate that. And you have to uh, bring that up to people's attention time and time again. So it has to be something that is embedded. You know, if you were to ask anybody in any organization that you're a part of today, you know, uh, what are our values or what's our mission or anything like that, I doubt anybody could tell you. And Mm -hmm. that just shows the problem and the veracity of the problem that most people aren't aware of those and they're not having that, you know, hit over their head time and time again. However, I'd say more important than that is including people in the process and this goes back to having the right people. When you're thinking about who the company is and, and where the company is headed, and from the marketing perspective, what message do we want to communicate you know, to our customers and how do we want to interact with them? You really have to include your team in that conversation, in that process. This isn't something with the tablets from the mountain coming down and saying, here's what we're going to do and here's our message and here's where we're going to convey that. 
you need to really include your people in that because then they have buy-in and also surprise they have good ideas as well and they can help uh, understand from their perspective how that can be better communicated better established and better maintained so i would say that including your people in that process and involving them in it is a critical step that most companies and organizations miss and instead they come from this perspective of let's establish this and then make it the rule of law and that is a very challenging approach mm. and when you're trying to align a team and you're really trying to unify people towards a common goal or a competitive advantage I was really interested in one aspect of research and the comparison of magic to marketing in utilizing misdirection to help you find that competitive edge or that competitive difference. And so I'm just, if you could maybe speak on the role misdirection can play in both the engagement or alignment of a marketing team, but then feel free to expand on that more generally in terms of how you've seen misdirection to help marketers achieve a common goal. Uh, I love this so much because uh, in magic, you know, I'm a card magician, so I do a lot of stuff with a deck of cards. And most people misunderstand misdirection. Uh, It's not so much about misdirecting people as it is about controlling and focusing their attention Mm -hmm. where you want it. It's almost and virtually impossible to get someone to look away from something that they're interested in. And this is, you see this on the road, you know, with rubbernecking, there's an accident, everyone is looking at it. Even Mm -hmm. though it could be minor, you know, you have to look, you can't not look. And once you're looking, it's really hard to look away. Uh, It's much easier to create a new area of focus and direct people's attention there by giving them a reason to look. So I'll give you a really tangible example from magic is if I want to do a move with the cards, but you're looking at my hands, I can't do the move because you're looking at my hands. You'll see what I'm about to do. (laughs) But if I ask you a question, I say, Scott, you know, what was the card that you were thinking of? Or was it a red card or black card? And I look at you and I just pause. You're going to look up and you're going to look at me and you're going to answer my question because that's Mm. just a polite mannerism that people have. And when you do that, you better believe that's what I'm going to do the move because I know you're not looking at my hands now because I can see you're looking at me. And so that's what we have to do with our teams and with the competition in marketing is we have to create those moments of controlling attention, directing attention. And so With your team, it involves, again, having these uh, processes defined where you're getting the team together and including everyone in the process and sharing, as we talked about before, your mission or your values or your objectives, or in the case, case of most of my clients recently, our priorities for 2022. You know, here's what we're all working on. Here's what we're trying to go to. How can we get there? And what does that look like? And when you involve everyone in that and make it a core focus, then people will pay attention. And so I recommend to most of my clients to take these priorities, these objectives, and establish them as truth, and then put them somewhere that everyone can see them at any time. And that's about transparency. But then to take that a level further and make it even more practical, I'm a huge proponent of OKRs, objectives and key results. It's a management methodology that's used by Google, was originally used by IBM, but you can read all about it, but it helps you establish objectives that you're trying to accomplish and then the key results that you have to achieve in order to accomplish that objective. So it's a really great framework. What I love about it is it's so simple, but it helps people be aligned and you can nest OKRs underneath each other. You can have individual OKRs, team OKRs or departmental OKRs, and then organizational OKRs. So OKRs is a really great way to have that controlling of attention on what really matters so that every meeting you have, every project you have, every task that someone is doing, 
can relate or connect or point back to one of the key results we're trying to achieve, which relates to an objective we're trying to accomplish. So that's on the team side, but on the mm. consumer side, you know, externally, you know, with the competition, it's about controlling that attention the same way and away from, you know, the competition and what they may be better at or excel at and focusing on your, you know, unique differentiating factors as well. On the topic of um, OKRs and in general, just the documentation of plans and processes, objectives and results, is there any software or are there any resources that come to mind for you that are top of mind that you use a lot when consulting for other companies? There is, and I'll say this with a caveat, which is uh, no tool will solve your problems. The One of the biggest problems I see with companies is that they jump to tools or they switch to tools thinking that a better tool, a newer tool, a more modern tool will solve their problem. So just know that, you know, if you're listening to this, that a tool won't solve it. Uh, I once worked as an employee for a company and uh, in a single year, they went through six different project management tools. I kid you not. They wasted millions of dollars and it eventually collapsed and failed, um, probably as a result of that. So don't do that. Learn from their mistake. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the favorite tools that I have is Notion, uh, N-O-T-I-O-N. Mm-hmm. And it's a really popular, I guess you can call it a project management tool, but it does a lot more than that. It's extremely flexible. It's extremely versatile. And you can use it in many ways. And I use it with most of my clients. And what's so great about it is you can create the structure that you need within the tool. Uh, in other words, the tool doesn't have a structure framework that it dictates that you must follow. And so that allows you to be creative and to build what you need uh, as much or as little as you need. And it's also very collaborative and dynamic. So it can do a lot more, but you can absolutely track and measure OKRs in a tool like Notion. However, in terms of OKRs specifically, there are many great tools like GTM Hub, Upraise, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. There's lots of great tools. And again, no one tool will solve all your problems, but I've had great success and I really enjoy using Notion. Yeah, Notion's come up a lot more, uh, recently on this podcast. Whenever I'm asked for recommendations around kind of project management or note-taking, documentation of processes, Notion keeps coming up and it seems like they've had a really amazing couple of years and growth. Um, so definitely check out Notion. Another thing that's come to mind for me as you were talking is one of the most important things is getting everyone together to contribute to a common goal or common process. And I've actually just experienced this today in that one of the common objections to that is time. And so sometimes, you know, you want to get as many of your team involved in the documentation of a problem or a solution or a process, but you have time limitations and particularly whether it may be finance managers or CEOs, people that are looking at the bottom line are probably sitting there thinking, you know, the amount this is costing me in my business to get everyone together, can't it just be one person? Is that a problem that you've seen and come up against? And is there anything or any techniques that you've used to help persuade particularly senior stakeholders in companies to invest in that area? Yeah, you have to think about how much time people are spending and wasting by not getting together. And more importantly, what decisions are they making or not making and what actions are they taking or not taking uh, on their own without the input of their colleagues? And so certainly it does cost something to get people together. And I'm not proposing that you do that all the time, but it is imperative because if you don't have alignment with your teams, if they don't understand, if they can't get feedback and input from each other, specifically around something strategic, that can be detrimental. And I think it's naive to some extent to just think about the cost 
I think the opportunity cost is the other thing to look at, which is what if we don't do this? Now, there's a famous, um, infamous parable. I don't think it's true, uh, but you know, specifically about teams, it says uh, the CEO says to the CMO, you know, what if we invest in our people and then they leave? Uh, and the CMO replies and says, what if we don't and they stay? And so I think that's the real analogy here is that, yes, it costs something, but we have to be uh, equipping and enabling our teams and our people to make the right decisions and do the right thing and to be productive and strategic. Because if we don't, you know, we're going to be the ones paying for that and the company will struggle as a result. Thinking about a scenario where, let's say you've gone through that, that initial process, you have a team aligned, you have your OKRs, everyone is bought in and on the same journey together. It's a really great situation to be in. But I'm really interested in your thoughts then and your experience of when teams maybe go off track. So what have you seen that leads particularly marketing teams to go off track from a unified goal? There's so many things, right? Where do I start? <laughs> Where do I begin? You know, leadership changes is certainly one yep. of the most common that I see when you have a new leader come in uh, and they think that they want to change things up. Uh, personnel uh, definitely is another big one. If a key person leaves or someone who's either been there a long time uh, or someone who has you know all the knowledge or information about their role or they work with other vendors or partners and then they leave, you know, that creates a huge gap and massive disruption. And this is why you know you need uh, contingency plans and you need uh, shared information you know among the team and defined processes and, and things of the like uh, because personnel and leadership changes are I would probably say the biggest uh, impact in terms of change and they're fairly common you know right now especially we're seeing this great resignation mm-hmm. a lot of uh, mix up and change up within teams and personnel uh, so that's that's one of the biggest the second is tools and technology in that again, adopting a new platform or tool or technology is a massive undertaking. Uh, There's education, there's support, there's maintenance, uh, there's switching over from the old system. So huge disruption. And I don't think that many organizations or marketing teams think about the ramifications, the implications, and the time required to do that and to get everyone up to speed. So personnel and teams, uh, I'm sorry, personnel and tools and software uh, are the two biggest. Number three uh, would be uh, a lack of processes. And so when teams are constantly changing, right, new priorities, new activities, new vendors, but not having those processes can even de- derail some of the most streamlined and efficient teams because, you know, you'll get a new vendor or you'll have a new project and it's just a little bit different or people stop following the process and then the whole thing falls apart. And so having processes is so fundamentally important but making sure that you hold people accountable to those processes. And so what happens in a team and the breakdown is we get so used to the process that it becomes second nature and that's great. But then we stop following the process because we're following the process that's in our head, not the process that was documented and outlined. And that can create lots of issues because now you're following your mental version of the process, but I'm following my mental version of the process. And that's where our wires start to get crossed and things start to unravel pretty quickly. So process is critical and documenting it, defining it is essential, but then also reviewing that, refreshing it and maintaining that so that everyone knows what it is and how it works. It may sound basic, but it's it's really, really important. And what's interesting there as well is that processes are the part that are entirely within a company's control. Whereas some of the other factors that you discussed there, such as personnel change, they're only partly within a company's control because 
you know, even some of the best employees might leave to go on to other opportunities eventually. But processes are completely within your control to document. So it kind of lends itself when you think about the variables that are involved in unifying a team and limiting distractions. It helps to frame it in the way that you've just framed it because it helps to, you know, I separate them out. What can I control? What can't I control? And if you focus on the things that you can control, I guess you have a more robust team or a robust process in place. On the flip side of that, one thing that you didn't discuss as you were talking there, and maybe one thing that does tie in with the aspect of employee retention is morale. And I'm really interested to know some of the things that you've seen in practice that have been utilized to help surprise and delight a team to keep their morale high. It's a really uh, divisive um, question because so many people have a lot of different perspectives about morale and it's it's very hard to measure, right? And so mm. there's a lot of debate around this topic and, and I'm really glad you brought it up because I think there's some really simple things we can do as well as some more complicated things. But one of the simplest, most effective and most enjoyable thing that I tell all my clients to do, you know, if you have a tool like Slack or Teams or any kind of communication platform is create a channel to celebrate wins. And so in most of the marketing teams, you know, it's marketing wins is the name of the channel, but you just share wins in there and it's completely unbounded. So it doesn't have to be, we completed this project or we closed a new deal or, you know, whatever it is, it can be something really small. Hey, we made this minor update to the website or our metric has improved a little bit, or we finally got this email sequence launched that we've been working on for forever, you know, something small, but people love to share their successes And then, you know, they get reactions, they get, you know, emoji reactions, they get people commenting saying, that's awesome, great job. And, and that really does a lot for them. And it's completely hands off. It's not something that the management or, you know, leadership has to do. Uh, These people are, you know, raising it up themselves, because they want the accolades and admiration, and then their team is giving it to them. But it has many side benefits as well, because now the team's aware of what's going on, right? You see what's happening, the successes. But then also other people say, well, hey, I want some recognition too, right? So let me do something and and post about it and and try to push a little bit harder, a little bit farther to get better results. So just having that way to give people an outlet and a, uh, to share their wins and celebrate themselves and get recognition from their team is a completely hands-off, tremendous way to raise morale and keep it consistent. And I'm in a lot of my clients, you know, Slack channels, and I see, you know, throughout the day, throughout the week, all these different things pop into the wins channels. And it's, it's so cool for me to see that, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing that and they're having progress and, and celebrating each other and seeing success. So I'd say it's the most practical, most immediate thing you can do is if you don't have that set up, go today and set it up and just tell your team anything and everything you want to, you're proud of, you want to share that we make progress on, go and post it in here and let's all, you know, reward and encourage each other. Uh, where do you stand on things like employee benefits in terms of its importance in surprising a team, delighting a team, or just keep it for employee retention? Um, so are you a believer in that stuff making a huge difference to employees? And the reason I say that is kind of in context of the great resignation and what you were talking about is that you know we're at a place right now where it feels like people are placing far greater emphasis on relationships and self-development than the paycheck at the end of the month. And there's almost been a cultural shift across the world, actually, a a world shift in that. I'm just interested to know what you're seeing on a day-to-day basis in marketing teams in particular. 
Yeah, I'm involved in, in uh, helping uh, select and interview and hire a, a lot of uh, people and marketing teams. And I'll tell you, from my perspective, pay is almost irrelevant. You know, mm. Obviously, people need to provide for themselves. But I'm of the opinion that if you're trying to hire someone and they want the highest pay or, the, or they're concerned about pay rather than you know, the actual uh, team and the company and the mission and the impact they're going to have and, and what the work they're going to do, then that's the wrong person. And so uh, I'm all for, you know, paying people handsomely. I think great people are hard to find. A reliable, dependable people are hard to find. And so when you find a key player, a star player, uh, you need to reward them well uh, and pay them, you know, so that they'll stay and that they'll be, you know, um, satisfied and feel valued. But pay should not be the carrot uh, that you use to attract people because you will attract the wrong people. I guarantee you of that. In terms of you know um, other benefits that you can give people, other rewards to encourage morale, I'd say two things on that. One is you talked a lot about surprising and delighting people. I like mm-hmm. that a lot because some of my clients have these you know whether it's monthly or quarterly team building events. You know, especially now being virtual, uh, a lot of companies I work with are just remote in general. You know, because it's a distributed team. You know, across uh, multiple countries. And so they have these team building events and they'll do, you know, fun games, quizzes, sharing photos, all sorts of things. So that helps. But then they'll, sometimes they'll have prizes or rewards or they'll send out people, you know, different um, products or items or things for their home office. And so that's really nice. You know, it's really low cost for the company, but people love getting stuff and they feel like their company and their team cares for them and values them. Uh, you know, again, sharing people's birthdays and anniversaries for work and things like that, just becoming more of a real team, a real family of people and treating them how you treat your friends and family. You know, you you do nice things for them. You remember when their birthday is, you give them a call, you send them a gift, you know, uh, just randomly because you're thinking of them or you found something they would like. So all of those things can help with morale and with retention. But one of my mentors says, people don't leave companies, they leave bad bosses. And so you have to keep that in mind that if people are leaving your team, it's because they're not fulfilled or they have some issue with the work that they're doing or the the team they're interacting with. And this goes back to my point earlier about, you know, toxic people on teams. I hate to break it to you, but there are toxic people on your team and you have to find out who those people are and you have to deal with them. And, you know, it can be people who just maybe aren't used to communicating with certain personality styles. You can improve that. You can get coaching for them. You know, I coach people for lots of things like that. But there are some people you just can't fix, you know, and it's not worth the time and effort. And there are better people who would help grow your team even faster. And so sometimes you have to get rid of people. So sometimes morale is is not something you can fix. It's something you have to remove people. And by doing that, you can raise the morale. You gave some great advice there on how to improve morale. But I see morale and then momentum within a team as slightly different things. So it's interesting. If you think about a a team that are maybe unified towards a common goal, it's one thing to have positive morale, but then it's a different thing maybe to maintain momentum of that team. And what I think about here is what you were describing about the OKRs and how can you keep a team engaged in particular with some of those long-term goals? So let's say you're a company, you've got a team and you're working towards a one or two year goal. There are going to be touch points in that two year journey, that one year journey where people get itchy feet or people maybe self-doubt creeps in or collective team doubt creeps in. And people are wondering, you know, are we on track? Is it right for me to be here? Are we going to actually achieve these lofty goals that we've set out to achieve? Have you seen anything 
useful in practice that helps retain some momentum in a team? You know, you talk about how can you build momentum and uh, one of, I, I love terrible jokes. And so one of them is, you know, how does a carpenter build a set of stairs one step at a time? And I think <laughs> <laughs> that's how you build momentum is to your point, one step at a time. And so you have to take these lofty, big, ambitious goals and break them down, obviously, into chunks and milestones and quarters and all that stuff. And I think, as you described, OKRs is a wonderful framework for doing that because then you can further build a hierarchy out and say, this is the company's objective. And within that, we have our organization's objectives. And within that, we have our team's objectives. And within that, we have our personal objectives that we're trying to accomplish. So there's this nice uh, elegance in the framework uh, uh, structure with OKRs. But you're right, you have to break it down and take it piece by piece. And as you do that, there's going to be distractions. And this goes back to the idea of misdirection and focusing the team. There's going to be distractions and there's going to be uh, a loss of excitement about what's happening. However, when you have the wins that you're sharing and when you can measure those milestones and see the progress and success that you're having, it makes it a lot easier to stay on track because you can see what you're building toward. You know, it's like rolling a snowball down a hill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, if every five feet the snowball started over at a small size, you know, you just give up because you'd be like, it's never going anywhere. So you have to keep measuring and monitoring and reminding the team of what they're building and where we started from and where we're at today. And that's why you need a regular check-in, you know, quarterly, monthly, bi-monthly to look at that picture and say, this is where we started. This is where we're headed. Here's where we're at. But then also reflecting on, are we still going down the right road? Should we revisit this? So I'll give an example. A lot of my clients, I help them with optimization and the process of optimization and embedding this. And so I've created this framework called the Test-Driven Marketing Framework. And it involves applying testing to your marketing in a strategic capacity. And we have a quarterly review of the experimentation, the testing, the optimizations going on. But we look at it in different areas and say, we said we were going to focus on these areas. Is this still true? Is this still most effective? And if not, let's change it because we absolutely don't want to be continuing down a road that we shouldn't go down. And so you have to be that agile and that flexible. It's one thing to have long-term goals, but you can't just have long-term goals. You have to accept the reality that marketing changes every day, almost every hour. You know, It's constantly changing. And so we have to live in that reality and have our work reflect that so when we break these things down, uh, we have to be reviewing them and monitoring them and measuring them to make sure we're still down the right road. And if we're not, that's okay. We can stop, we can turn around, we can go a different road. Uh, but that is often the key to building momentum is revisiting and reminding your team of where we're at and where we're headed. And knowing that you're going to hit barriers along the way, you may have seen, I'll try to describe it. There's this wonderful diagram that explains this. It talks about what success looks like versus what success actually entails. And what it looks like is a straight line, right? From point A to point B, that's success. We go from here and we get there. But then you see the opposite picture, which is what success really looks like. And that's the squiggly line that starts at point A and goes, wraps over itself several times, goes different directions, and ultimately somehow gets to point B. That's the reality of our work, of marketing, and of just success and getting there, right? Is no one really knows how we're going to get there, but we're going to get there. We're going to keep going until we get there. So let's admit that up front and then let's have the process and structure in place to review and remind ourselves of where we're trying to get to, see what's worked, what hasn't worked, jettison what hasn't, and change and adapt forward so we can reach our destination. Something that piqued my interest was 
something I know you're passionate about, which is the ability to apply testing at a street strategic level in marketing as opposed to a tactical level. And it's not something that I really hear people speak about very often. So I'd just like to maybe close out this episode on that topic. And maybe if you could just expand on what you were just discussing there. So, uh, sorry, yeah, how do you approach marketing at a strategic level within a team? So maybe if you could explain the process that you run through. Do you, for example, have a top-level goal for a company, an objective? You turn that into an OKRs. You have your strategy documented, but then you tweak your review strategy every three months or every six months. You know, what would trigger a change in strategy? If I could just ask you to talk that through. Yeah, especially in today's environment, you know, strategy looks a lot different than did 10, 15 years ago Mm. in that the world moves at a breakneck pace. And so you can't really have a vision or a strategy that's more than a year or so out because Mm -hmm. so much will change as we've seen last year. And I think this year we're going to see even more volatility and disruption and change. And I think that's a positive thing. And so you really have to have a one year, maybe two year picture of where you're trying to get to. And that can look different depending on your industry because, you know, B2B, some of my clients are in really slow moving industries. B2C, you know, it's really fast paced. And so it depends on your industry how far out you're looking. But uh, again, going back to ruthlessly prioritizing, you have to have a key objective that you're trying to accomplish. You can, you can have a couple, sure, but really you have to be honest with yourself and say, what is the one thing that we really truly want to accomplish and, and make true? And that has to be your objective. And that helps focus and orient the whole team around that so you can keep them on track and, and keep building that momentum that we were just talking about. Uh, from that, then, you can break that down into the key results of what do we need to accomplish to meet that objective. Objectives are very strategic. They're not uh, you know, uh, practical in the sense of being defined tactically. And so the key results are what are the results we have to accomplish, achieve, so that the objective will be met. Uh, then you can take that and break it down, as we talked about, you know, in terms of the marketing team and the departments within that team, that organization, and even the individuals, if you'd like to go that far. And this is where testing and experimentation becomes paramount. Nobody knows what will work. I don't know what will work. Uh, you listening don't know what will work. No one knows. And that's why testing is so important and imperative. And so uh, combining your strategy with a process of experimentation looks like uh, identifying the areas that have the highest potential for impact and your certainty, your confidence in being able to extract the insights from testing in those areas and gain results from them. And then reviewing that, and we do it on a quarterly basis, uh, just because of the size of the company, you know, that's as fast as they can move. I would love to do it faster. But reviewing that on a quarterly basis to see uh, where are we at with in terms of our strategy and the objectives? Uh, what are we learning from the testing that we're doing? What are those insights that we've extracted, both positive and negative? And how can we then apply those insights to our, our existing marketing? Because you know you may learn something from one campaign and you can apply that obviously to the next campaign or to other efforts within your organization. So I can't emphasize enough the need to test and experiment, but align that, combine that with your strategy and implementation so that you can be continually iterating and improving and learning because it's not just about doing and it's not just about learning. It's about applying them both together so that you can learn as you do and continue to improve. And that really is the key in today's environment in marketing to success and growth. And one final question for you on that topic. So piecing all of that together, 
And I appreciate this is a hard question to answer on the spot, but are there any strategic changes that you've worked with, you've implemented recently with a company that are top of mind for you that have made a huge difference? I guess I'm just looking for strategic marketing changes that have surprised you personally. And you thought, well, actually, that was really important that we made the change. And I'm so glad that we've seen the result from that. It's kind of fascinated you in some way. Yeah, it's a really, uh, there's a couple that come to mind. One of them that's really blown my mind recently is influencers. And not in the way that you may think, but influencers is a pretty common strategy or tactic in that, you know, you work with some other people who have an audience, you pay them and they post on your behalf and you get attention and you get sales from that. Um, but working with influencers in a more strategic way, almost to make them a part of the team and a vendor, a partner um, with the company. And then further than that, uh, working with them in a really close proximity to help influence and drive some of the marketing itself. Because uh, influencers, you know, they have their own audience. They're doing this on a daily basis. Many of the you know, successful ones, this is their livelihood. So they understand your target market and um, the messaging and you know the the design the aesthetic the the tactics to use better than you do and so there are many influencers out there who could market to a target audience better than a marketing organization can and that's a pretty astounding thing if you think about it that one yeah. individual knows this better and can do it better than a whole team who has the resources you know and the people and the time to do this and so now we're starting to see that influencers are being basically acquired by companies in that you know we can just hire them as an employee and say this is now your job you know go help us do this and i think we'll continue to see this in a, a larger capacity where companies especially smaller companies will just begin to outsource their marketing to influencers because they become such strategic partners in a way that many people i think don't have their eyes open to yet so that's that's one that's been really surprising to me mm-hmm. and i think it's going to continue to grow influencers got a bad rap but I think this year we're going to see that they become a real staple and necessary component in marketing at a much deeper, much bigger level. It's really interesting, Tim, because uh, I'm glad you raised that because I, I was only talking to a friend. So I've got a friend in a different marketing agency and he was running a camp- an influencer marketing campaign uh, for one of his clients. And we were having lunch last week and we were discussing different aspects of marketing and what's happening. And we were talk- we, he was just discussing, he was saying to me that, the content that's generated by influencers is just so much better than the ideas that he or his team members could come up with. And so giving the influencers full creative control of the content that they produce to promote a brand is one of the most efficient uh, and useful things that you can do. But it puts the, I guess it puts the marketer, particularly agency marketers in a really interesting predicament because you've got to put your ego aside and know that, you know, there's an influencer out there that can maybe do what you think you can do better than yourself it's just a really interesting predicament but and uh, like you said a really interesting change to both influencer marketing and how you look at marketing strategy i think it's it's really uh unbelievable like it's it still shocks me to this day to think about it that you know these people have this uh, capacity and they're so creative and they have such a bead on what the audience wants and how they'll respond and i'll give you one more tangible example of that which is uh, I can't think of the name of it, but HarperCollins has a YouTube channel for young adult books. Uh, and they have a whole website. It's a whole um, community, basically, for young adult books. And I know this because my wife is you know, big in that space. And um, they had basically, at the time, I believe it was some interns. And they said, yeah, do something on YouTube. Just go set up a YouTube channel and do whatever you want. 
And so these these two women did this, and they just started talking on YouTube about books, you know, with the community. And the channel has grown to hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of subscribers. And finally, Harper Collins said, "Oh my God, look at this! You know, this works. You know, we should have known." And so then they took it over and said, you know, we're going to make this more corporate and we're going to put our own name around, branding around all stuff. And then it's kind of tanked a little bit. Yeah, and this is yeah. because of the authenticity is not there. And these influencers are not a part of it who understood the people and could do this much better. And so you need to give up this sense of control that admit mm. that there are other people who can do this better and work with them. You know, uh, don't, don't work against them because that's a losing battle. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like the, um, it's as if, the role of both ego and discipline become even more important to creativity or maybe um, what people formerly thought as creativity, you know, is changing. The concept of creativity is changing and create creativity is perhaps now relinquishing control as opposed to taking creative control yourself. Um, Well said. Yeah. That's mm. really, it's a really interesting and exciting time, but it's going to cause a lot of issues. That's for sure. We have to figure out how to navigate this well. Yeah, and uh, not let it um, burden your ego too much. That's the difficult thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a really interesting example that you shared there for HarperCollins. So I'll check that out as well. Uh, Tim, I know we're coming towards the end here, but before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, what you do, your podcast, and anything else that you want to share? Yeah, thanks so much, Scott. You know, I'll tell your listeners that uh, I have what I call my vault, and it has access to all of my intellectual property. Uh, videos, webinars, templates, ebooks, lots of great stuff I've put out over the years. The same stuff I work with my clients and share with them to help them grow their teams. And it's all free. So if you want access to it, all you have to do is send me a text with the word grow, G-R-O-W, to this number, 844-311-3200. And if you text grow to 844-311-3200, I'll get you access to the vault, all that good stuff. I'm constantly adding in more. In addition to that, you can find me, of course, on LinkedIn, Tim Parkin, and my website, timparkin.com, P-A-R-K-I-N.com. All that's left to say is thank you so much for your time. It's been a really interesting episode. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.